four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell one story, right? They all tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But they all tell us that one story from a distinct perspective. If you've read uh, the Gospels, especially if you've read them multiple times, uh, you've probably begun to get a sense, a feel of how each Gospel is a little bit different. In fact, if you are really familiar with the four Gospels, then you can kind of uh, sense the, the flavor of each different one just from the opening line. For example, the Gospel of Matthew starts uh, this way. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and if you know the Gospel of Matthew well, you can tell right there from the beginning, what Matthew is doing is he's out to convince people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who's come in fulfillment of God's promises from the Old Testament, especially the promises to Abraham and to David. If you go to the Gospel of Mark and read the first line of Mark, he just says this, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's Mark's way. I mean, Mark is right out of the gate. He's moving fast. He's making his points clear and direct. It's the shortest gospel. It's the most compact gospel. And Mark loves to just get after it, right? When you get to Luke, you really have to slow down. Luke doesn't move like Mark. Luke is a whole lot longer than Mark. And Luke likes to really give you the the full picture. Here's how Luke starts. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, you're going to have to read that sentence more than once just to get everything that Luke is trying to say. So Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all have their distinctive angle, their distinctive feel, their distinctive approach to declaring the truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then John has his own feel too. John takes us back farther than anyone else, right? because the opening words of his gospel are, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a, an, a Bible translator from way back in the early days of the church named Jerome, probably the most famous Bible translator, because he translated the Bible into Latin, And most Christians, that's the translation of the Bible they heard, at least in the the West, for a thousand years. And Jerome said something about the Bible as a whole that I think is especially true of the Gospel of John. He said this, he said, The scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning, and deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. 
That's the Gospel of John in a nutshell. Others have commented on the fact that John uses some of the most simple vocabulary of any writer in the New Testament. You read the first three verses of the Gospel of John we're going to be focusing on this morning. There are no hard words in there. Luke's a different story, right? John, the vocabulary is very simple. But the truths he expresses with those simple words are profound. So profound, it's not even possible to fully plumb the depths of what John is saying. And again, that's evident from the very beginning. So what does John say to us about the beginning? How does John begin to tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, with those first words in the beginning, John roots Jesus' story in Genesis 1-1. And not just in Genesis 1-1, right, but in the beginning of everything, which is where Genesis 1-1 starts. And John tells us that Jesus's Story, because Jesus is the Word that he's talking about here. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus' story, in one sense, has no beginning. Because in the beginning, Jesus was already there. Now, he hadn't taken on flesh yet, right? He hadn't entered into the world yet. That part of the story has a starting place. But before Jesus took on flesh, Before he became a man, he was already God. And as God, he had no beginning. In fact, he was in the beginning. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, he intends for us to go all the way back in our Bibles, or at least in our minds, to Genesis 1-1, where the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what's so significant about that statement is the Bible answers for us a question that almost no one else is able to answer or seems to want to answer. Recently I was watching um, a couple of people have a conversation, one of them a Christian, one of them an atheist. And the the Christian was kind of like, would you like to have a religious conversation? Can we talk about God? Atheist says, yeah, okay. And the Christian says, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there a universe? Why are there people? Why is there anything here when there could be nothing? Where did this all come from? Most people don't have an answer to that question. Because even if you want to talk about evolution and the Big Bang, and what, what was there in the beginning to blow up in the Big Bang? And where did that come from? If it was atoms or particles or protons or neutrons, whatever it was, where did that come from? No matter how far back you go, you can't go back far enough unless you start with something or someone who always existed and needed nothing to bring it into existence. That's what the Bible says about God. In the beginning, God wasn't created. God created. God was already there. Nothing created Him. He's dependent upon no one, nothing He doesn't need air to breathe. He doesn't need food to eat. He doesn't need somebody to bring him into existence. He simply always has existed. 
From everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says, you are God. So in the beginning, God was there. In the beginning, God created. And what John is doing for us is he is expanding our understanding of Genesis 1.1. He says, you know, Moses told us in Genesis 1.1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there's something about the God who was there in the beginning who created the heavens and the earth that you might not know yet, that I want you to know. In the beginning, he said, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? We're expecting, because we know Genesis 1-1, we're expecting in the beginning God. But we get, in the beginning was the Word. And we know that the Word he's talking about is God the Son, who's going to take on flesh. We know that because later in verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, right? But before he took on flesh and we began to know him as Jesus, he was the Word. He was the Son. And it says that he was with God in the beginning. So, in our minds, from reading Genesis 1, right, we, we have this sort of image in our mind of there's, there's nothing but God, and God creates the universe. And John says, you need to fill out that picture a little bit more, because with God was the Word. Now, that raises questions in our minds, right? Okay, this, is this a second God? Right? Well, we know better than that, right? Because the whole Bible says there's only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only God, God says over and over and over to the Israelites. There's not a separate God, not a second God. And yet this word is God, right? Because he said not only was the word with God in the beginning, the word was God. How does that work? What he's saying is, the Word, the Son, right, was in the beginning with God, the Father. He's distinct from the Father. And yet, he is just as much God, just as much fully divine, as the Father is. He also was God in the beginning. So what John is not doing is he's not saying there was more than one God in the beginning. But what John is saying is that there is more to God in the beginning than what you know from Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 was just the beginning of God revealing himself. But now in the New Testament... God has made known right, that though there is one God, He eternally exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word eternally, right? God eternally exists in three persons. That's just saying a little bit differently what John is saying. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If He already was God in the beginning, then He's eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. Because at the beginning, He's already there. 
That's what it means to be God. So, in the beginning was the Word. That Word was God. And again, we know that's Jesus because of John 1.14. So, Jesus' story does not begin in the manger. Doesn't begin in Mary's womb. That's where His human life, His earthly ministry begins. But he already existed. The Son of God already existed in heaven forever. Before there was anything. Before anything was made. He was already there. But then at a particular point in time, he came down into history. Took on flesh. Became as one of us that he might save us. So, in verse 1 and verse 2 of John, John is expanding our understanding of Genesis 1-1 when it says, in the beginning, God. John says, I want you to know there's more about God than what you learn from Genesis 1-1. Not less. It's not contradicted. There's just more. The Son was there too. And then in verse 3, he says, okay, next in Genesis 1-1, it said, in the beginning, God created Now, let me expand your understanding of that a little bit, too. What was it like when God created in the beginning if the Word was there in the beginning? What was the Word's role? What was Jesus' role in creation? If He was there, was He just kind of sitting idly by, watching as the Father created, or was He somehow intimately involved in the act of creation, in the process of creation? Here's what John says in verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, if we go back again in our minds to Genesis 1-1, and remind ourselves how God created. What does Genesis 1-1 say about how God created? He spoke, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke things into existence. I don't think it's accident or coincidence that John here says about the Son that He is the Word. Since through words, right, through speaking, God created the universe in Genesis 1.1. John, again, kind of uh, expands our view a little bit and says, well, in the beginning was God's Word. And His Word was a person. Of the Trinity. God's word was present with him in the beginning. And it's through that word that God created everything. Through his own son. That also means that the word, the son of God, cannot have been created. There are some who want to say that the son of God is like an exalted angel. Uh, He's created, but he's above all the other created things. So he's somewhere in between like 
between us and God, or between most of the rest of the angels and God. He's really, really great and really, really important, but he's not fully divine. He's not really and truly God. Here's what John says to try to keep us from making that mistake. All things were made through him. All of them. Like all of them, all of them. So then he says, and without him was not anything made that was made. If you come out of that sentence saying Jesus was made, you're just not listening. You're just not paying attention to what John is saying. John is saying everything without exception that was created was created through the Word, through the Son, through Jesus, which means Jesus Himself, the Son Himself, cannot have been created. Because every single thing that was created was created through Him. He was not made. Here's what else that means. Everything that exists has a real connection to Jesus. Not necessarily a saving connection, right? Not talking about universalism here, right? Not saying that everything is, every person is going to be saved because everybody's connected to Jesus through creation. I'm not saying that. But everything that exists has a real connection to Jesus because everything that exists was made through him. Everything. Everything you see, everything you touch, everything that exists. Things you like, things you don't like, right? Bugs and stuff that drive you nuts, created by Jesus. People that you love, created by Jesus. Everything in between. Stuff you've never even seen. Things you never even imagined. All of it made by and through Jesus. And because it was made through Him and by Him, there's something else we need to know. It was also made for Him. Colossians 1.16 says, By Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So not only does everything that exists have a real connection to Jesus, because it was made by Him, but also everything that exists was made for Him. You and I were made for Him. Plants, animals, sea creatures, everything you read about in Genesis 1, it was all made for Him. He's God. Everything exists for Him. Everything is meant to praise Him, to honor Him, to bring glory to Him. We know that the creation is doing that all the time because Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. The, The creation is constantly bearing witness to the reality of God, to the presence of our Creator. And we are supposed to be doing the same thing. Worshiping Him. 
praising Him, honoring Him. One of the ways we do that is by what Paul says in Ephesians 5.1. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Love, he goes on to say, like Christ has loved us. Reflect the character, attributes of God. God's forgiving, you be forgiving. God is loving, you be loving. God is merciful, you be merciful. God is just, you be just. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We're meant to reflect and honor and worship and give glory to God. That's why we were made. That's who we were made by and who we were made for. Now, what does all of this mean, not only for our worship, right, but also for our salvation? Because that's where John is headed, right, in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, Right, And he's going to go on to talk about how we received grace through him, how he's made the, the Father has been made known through him. John's going to start testifying, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here's what John wants us to remember. Through every story we read in the Gospel of John, whether he's healing somebody, whether Jesus is walking on water, whether he's teaching, whatever he's doing, John wants us to remember in every one of those instances, this is your God. This is the eternal God who took on flesh. The eternal Son who became like you for you. He's not just a great man. He's not even just great. He's God. He is the God-man. This is God who has come to take on flesh. The reason these things that he does are so amazing, the reason why the disciples are going to look at Jesus and say, what kind of man is this? Is because he's not just a man. That's what John is trying to tell us from the beginning. He was in the beginning. And in the beginning, he was God. In one sense, all of this that John is telling us makes more sense out of the fact that Jesus took on flesh for us and became as one of us. Because He created us. He made us. We're His. So in one sense, you think, okay, I can see why He would come to save us. He would come to rescue us because we're His creation. He, he, He brought us into existence. But on the other hand, it makes the incarnation even more amazing. Because this is not just a really great created being like an angel or something who's giving up their position in heaven to come and live down here on earth and be as one of us and sacrifice themselves for us. This is the eternal, uncreated God. Becoming as one of His creation. Becoming like His creatures. Taking on flesh for us. For our sake. For our salvation. That is love beyond reckoning. 
Right? That is grace almost beyond belief. As John's going to say later, from him we have received grace upon grace. God is piling up grace for us in Jesus. Now, in these three verses, as I said earlier, there, there aren't any hard words. No difficult vocabulary to learn. There aren't even that many words there. But those simple words invite us to wade into waters too deep for us to fully fathom. Truths too high for us to fully comprehend. And yet, words that are so wonderful, truths that are so amazing, that the only proper response to them is worship. Jesus came so that you could know God. Jesus came so that you could be in fellowship with God. Jesus came so that you could be right with God, so you could be forgiven of your sin. He's God, and He came to do that for you. The only proper response is to repent of ignoring Him, turning away from Him, shaking your fist at Him, to trust Him, believe in Him, believe that He's the Son of God, believe He died, believe He rose, and then keep on believing in Him. Keep on trusting Him. Follow Him. Worship Him. Obey Him. Listen to Him. Treasure His Word. Seek to follow His example, His teaching. Give yourself wholly and totally to Him. Worship Him with your words, and with your life. Let's pray.